0: The reading today is coming from Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image? that I have set up. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe lyre, trigon harp bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship that image that I have made, well, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let's welcome RT as he comes to minister to us today.
1: I wonder if you're aware that we've just sung this great hymn, 10,000 Reasons, one of the greatest uh, pieces of music, lyrics uh, of our generation. And the one who did the composing and the music is Matt Redman, and he's here today. Just give him a warm welcome, Matt. (laughs) Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. And cleanse my tongue that I might be your transparent instrument to convey everything. That needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Grant that this will be a life changing word. And for all I know, somebody needs this in a desperate way. Apply this word and may it bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Question Do you have the but if not? Faith? That's a question put by a little lady in Alabama some years ago in a little prayer meeting. Five or six people gathered there, and she just said to the group, Do you have the but if not faith? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are threatened, if they don't bow down to the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up, they will be turned over into a burning, fiery furnace. And when the word got out uh, that they weren't bowing down, the king calls them in, they're on the carpet, and asks the question, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And their reply, well, we don't uh, worry too much about that. Our God is able to deliver us. But if not, we will not bow down. That's the word for today. And I hope that I can get this over in such a way that if there are those here that up to now you're saying, well, if God will do this and he will do that, then I will do that. This, not good. What we need is the but if not faith. A resolve to obey, to stand for the truth, even if we're not vindicated. Now what I want to show today is that these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were being trained for a different kind of leadership. It was Passive leadership. Now, we saw last week that they were wonderfully vindicated when they refused to defile themselves with the king's meat. And they were vindicated in that at the end of the ten days, uh, they were found to be uh, stronger and with more wisdom and understanding than anybody around them. And so it was an open vindication. But remember this. If God vindicates you, he does this not merely to give you an inward feeling of grace and joy. The vindication is because there is more work for you. He's not finished with you yet. Well, these three Hebrew men could not have known that they were facing an even greater challenge. uh, Greater than they've ever known. And that is, they were being trained for passive leadership. Uh, God gives trials to develop our character. Paul put it like this. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Well, if you're in a trial as I speak, this is the reason that you might develop character. Now, there are two kinds of leadership speaking generally. There is active leadership. You could say aggressive leadership. The high profile person who is always out front taking the lead. Uh, Sometimes God uses a choleric personality. uh, The one who is type A, living in the fast lane. People like that become heads of corporations But also, that's the stuff that many senior pastors are made of. Active leadership. They are out front, and they have high profile. But I want to introduce a different kind of leadership. Passive leadership. Often underestimated. What these three men had been trained for. And could it be that there's someone here You're being trained for passive leadership. And that means that you are called to do that which may not give you high profile. You've also perhaps had the idea that you're not a leader at all. You call yourself a follower. But the kind of leadership that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrates is passive leadership. It is what is needed, I think, almost more than anything in the world. Are you aware? We are in dangerous times. We're in it. And I'm sorry, it is not going to get better. And I think it's a time that the church, to be trained for a generation of leaders that will stand up and say, Enough! is enough and the kind of leadership demonstrated today is what I think we are being called to. So passive leadership is developed by how we react to testing and temptation. Jesus said, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. I think the difference between testing and temptation is that testing is when God wants to bring the best out of you. Temptation is when Satan wants to bring the worst out of you. And these men would undergo testing which would determine whether they would qualify for spiritual passive leadership. Passive spiritual leaders are made, not born. This leadership is a grace. Not a gift. Something within you, uh, not something you do as a job. But it's it's what you are, and this is why so many leaders today that do have a high profile. I don't know if you're aware of this, but most leaders today are followers. What they do is they wet their finger, hold it up to the air, see which way the wind is blowing, and then they run out front and act like they're leading. But leaders like that are followers. Well, God will never promote you to the level of your incompetence. These three men were now faced with an even greater test than resisting the food at the king's table, uh, which by comparison was a small thing. Like it or not, the Christian life is a series of testing and trials. Now, everybody in the world goes through testing. And trials. But you don't become a Christian in order to avoid testing and trials. You say, what I need is to become a Christian so I won't be tested anymore. I won't be tried anymore. I can tell you now uh, becoming a Christian is what enables you to face testing and trials. And that is what I want to talk about today. So the Christian life is one in which we are being changed from glory to glory. But the question is, how do we reach a higher level of glory? Well, the answer is by dignifying the next trial you are in. Designed for you. James said, count it pure joy when you meet, when you face trials, troubles of all kinds. Now, you ought to know, That some have had the idea, well, if it's pure joy to have a trial, I must go out and look for a trial so I can have more joy. Not the way James puts it here. He says, if you fall into diverse trials, what that means is you didn't go looking for it. It just happened to you. You fell into it. If that's the case, something you weren't wanting, but it just happened to you, congratulations, you qualify to count it pure joy because that is the stuff by which we are changed from glory to glory. It is God's invitation to come up higher. He doesn't lead us from A to Z, but from A to B, B to C. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about to have an extreme kind of testing. What if you were to discover that you are on the brink of an extreme trial? Are you ready for it? In any case, God wanted to change these three men into his winning minority. First thing I want us to see, they faced pressurized conformity. See, Nebuchadnezzar wanted everybody to worship the same way, to the same image. It comes out in chapter 3, verse 1. When he made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. That would be Iraq today. And the king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather all the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. And so they were there, and then they were commanded, O peoples and nations and languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music that you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. It was a pressurized conformity. All had to do it. But you see, that's the way the world is today. The world, false religion, wants you to conform to it. There's a movement on And in America, I just have learned in recent days, it's growing fast, this movement, to get everybody together, uh, quit saying, you're the only way, and see a little bit of good in everybody. And they're being pressured now to do this because to these people that have no knowledge of the Bible, Holy Scripture, or Jesus, they think that's a good idea. Why can't we all get together? We're all wanting the same thing. And... There is this pressurized conformity. Well, that's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted it. And there's always the feeling, do it because everybody does it. I think of the way J.B. Phillips translated Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. God is in the process of making all of us more like Jesus. The question is, what will people see if we are in the fire? Will they see Jesus? What do they see when they see you under testing? Many years ago, there was a famous sculptor, and uh, he had been commissioned by a major city in America to turn, uh, uh, to build, uh, make a a, a horse out of marble. Marble. And on the first day, the press were there, and there was this big block of marble, and the sculptor standing by it, and they took his picture, and a member of the press asked, how are you going to turn this block of marble into a horse? And the sculptor replied, it's very easy. I just chip away anything that doesn't look like a horse. (laughs) That is what is happening to us. We're just a big block of flesh, sinful flesh. But what is happening is that God is chipping away anything in us that doesn't look like Jesus. But I have to tell you, it can be very painful, this process The obedience of the world comes through peer pressure. They want you to be afraid like they are. I frequently have people ask me this question. However, could the Jews have missed their Messiah? You know, once you see it, you can't understand how anybody else can't see it. Take, for example, Isaiah 53. The most obvious description of Jesus. You would have thought Isaiah 53 was written after Jesus came. It's so obvious. But you see, the God of this world blinds the minds of those that don't believe. Once you see it, it is so clear. But the question is, then, how could the Jews have missed it? And there was a day Jesus said to them, it's John chapter 5 Verse 44, for what it's worth, my favorite verse in the Bible. When I sign a book, I always sign Romans 8.28 because nobody asked me any questions. I went for a while that I would sign John 5.44, and invariably people come back to me and say, what are you trying to say to me? Is there something about me you wanted to say? I said, no. Uh, I just started signing Romans 8.28 all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. But my life verse, I don't say I've always been governed by it. It's the verse I want to be governed by. It's when Jesus asked the question to the Pharisees, how can you believe? In other words, you can't. It's not possible. The reason you can't believe is that you seek honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from the only God. It was not on their radar screen to want the honor that comes from God alone. The only honor they could think of is consensus. What do you think? And they wanted approval. Uh, They were addicted by the need for approval, and that's all that motivated them. And as a result, they missed the Messiah. And I can tell you, This can be repeated in our day. Jonathan Edwards taught us that the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving, then move in that direction. How will you know in which direction the sovereign redeemer is going to move? As long as the thing you want is everybody's approval. You want them to like you. You want them to admire you. This is why many people miss what God is doing today. Because the cost, the embarrassment, it will be if you affirm something that seems different or strange. Well, I can tell you, the Jews miss their Messiah for the reason that many people miss what God is doing today, because it's not on their radar screen. To want the honor that comes from God. They only want the honor that comes from people. Well, Nebuchadnezzar wanted one religion, and he wanted uncritical conformity. In other words, they say, you're going to do this. You will bow down. And he wanted instant conformity. In verse 5, it says, As soon as you hear the sound, instant Someone has said, 5% of the people today think. 5% think they think. 90% don't think even if you killed them. (laughs) And others put it like this. 5% of the people make things happen. 5% watch things happen. 90% don't even know what's going on. (laughs) And so we see it in verse 7. As soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, I never heard what that would sound like. All those musical instruments. Matt, could you play all those? What that sound would be. But as soon as they heard it, It says, they all fell down. They were doing what everybody was doing. Everybody was doing it. They didn't know what was going on. They're just bowing down. All right. These three Hebrew children were demonstrating peerless courage. They marched to the beat of a different drum. And so now another element emerges Surprise, surprise. It's only a matter of time that the elephant in the room, the sin nobody talks about, but everybody's aware of it, emerges. Jealousy. That's what's going on now. Another element emerges, jealousy. You see, these men had been vindicated and exalted. Remember, when you are exalted, you discover enemies you never knew you had. Paul said, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. It's easy to find somebody to weep with you when you weep. It is hard to find somebody who will rejoice with you when you rejoice. I have given as a definition of a true friend, A true friend is someone who will rejoice with you when you rejoice. Anybody will weep with you. But if they find something really good has happened to you, they think, oh, I'm so happy for you. This is is wonderful. (laughs) But a real friend is one who will rejoice when you rejoice. And so the problem was jealousy. Nebuchadnezzar would never have known about these three Hebrews had they not been reported. There are people that are jealous of you. Did you know that? Some people are jealous of your face. (laughs) Some are jealous of your race. Especially if you're from Ghana. People from Ghana, they've always been a problem. (laughs) Some people are jealous of your lace. Some are jealous of your place. But worst of all, there will be those who are jealous of your grace. And that is what is going on here. People were jealous of the grace that were given to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Say it again, Nebuchadnezzar would never have known about these three men. But they were reported to him by jealous people. And when you take your stand, count on somebody to report you. They'll do everything they can to hurt you. That is, whether it's at your place of work, in the church, sometimes in family. President Abraham Lincoln a man who took his stand against slavery in the United States Civil War uh, in the 19th century said, if the end brings me out all right, what is said against me won't amount to anything. But if the end brings me out wrong, ten angels swearing I was right would make no difference. Proverbs 27, verse 4. Who can stand before jealousy. All right, someone was out to get them. A leader will sooner or later be pursued with contempt. And how you handle this will determine whether you are a leader indeed. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, said, Peter, for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And for this reason, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Or 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory rests on you. That makes me think immediately of Stephen before the council. They were jealous. They hated him. But as he spoke, they couldn't resist his wisdom. And a spirit of glory was on him. They said, his face shone like that of an angel. God will do that for those who are willing to stand alone. All right. Don't expect the world to admire your courage And yet the world, funnily enough, is motivated by a perverse curiosity. They may sometimes be fascinated by what we believe. They hope it isn't true, but are afraid it might be. And what is needed is a generation of Christians not motivated by a spirit of fear, which too many of us have, but rather the need of the hour. This is what God is asking of you today. The but-if-not faith. Our God is able to deliver us. But if not, we will not bow down. All right. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were characterized by three things. Number one, personal conviction. Conviction concerning their view of God. Because they were making the claims, our God is able. And Nebuchadnezzar says, who is this God who's able to deliver you? And the reply is, he's all powerful. He can do anything. He can deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. You can throw us in and we'll be fine. He's able to do that. It's one thing to say, God is able. It's another to say, but if not. That is the requirement. And It's pointing to the freedom of God. Have you ever thought about the freedom of God? Would you set him free? Or are you saying, God, you have to do this. You see, the curse of our generation is a feeling of entitlement. We all feel entitled. God, you must do this. That's not the kind of God of the Bible, and it's not the kind of God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed in. He said, "Our right, God is able. He's all-powerful, but he may not choose to deliver us. They knew there is nothing impossible with God, but equally knew they had no claim upon God. Let me explain what that means. Do you feel that you have a claim on him? He has to do what you say. That because of who you are, the suffering you've gone through, that you are entitled to something and God owes you something. Is that the way you feel? You see, it was one thing to know that God could do anything, but another to say, we don't have a claim on God. When you consider these words, our God is able to deliver us, but if not, this shows the sovereignty of God by experience. Listen to me. A couple weeks ago, our school of theology spent an hour and a half going into something pretty deep. The sovereignty of God A missing note in today's generation. God said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. Now it's one thing to believe that theoretically. I've had a number of people saying, oh, I'm so glad you're teaching that. Let me ask you a question. What if it turns out that as, as long as God is showing mercy to you, you're saying good. What if he withholds mercy? And you're one that you don't get your prayer answered. What if he doesn't deliver you from the burning fiery furnace? I was ordained back in 1964. uh, um, 50 years ago plus. I've been preaching for about 60 years. The man who ordained me was a man by the name of Dr. N.B. Magruder. And uh, he and I were having a discussion And the discussion was, how do you demonstrate the highest level of love for God? Have you ever thought about that? If you were asked, what is the highest level of love for God? What do you suppose it is? Well, I said to him, I believe it is when you are willing to die. When you're willing to die, a martyr, surely, he shows the highest level. And Dr. Magruder took out a sheet of paper, and he wrote down something, then handed it to me. I've carried it with me for years. Here's what he said. My willingness to forsake any claim upon God is the only evidence I have seen the divine glory. Do you realize what that means? That you're willing for God to withhold mercy and not demand it and not snap your finger and say, God, you've got to do this. That is claiming that he owes you something. Dr. Magruder said the highest level of devotion is when you are willing to forsake any claim upon God. This is what Joshua had to come through when he crossed over into the promised land and there was the angel with a drawn sword. And Joshua said, are you for us or for our enemies? Fully expecting the angel to say, oh, for you. But the angel replied, neither. Joshua couldn't figure that out. Surely God is for us and against our enemies. That was the answer. Neither. It was a test. What if Joshua had said, well, it won't have anything to do with you then. I only want somebody that's just going to be for me all the way. Neither. Joshua took off his shoes, his sandals. He was on holy ground. You see, when you're willing for God to do what he wants to do, and he owes you nothing. And this is the lesson Joshua learned. The commander of the Lord's army was following God, not obeying Joshua. And God has a will of his own. And this is called the freedom of God. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had come into. They knew this, and they set God free. Our God is able to deliver us, but if not, we will not bow down. And so they replied, we don't even need to talk about it. That comes to the second thing, not only personal conviction, but a prior commitment. They decided long before what they would do. They didn't say, well, look, give us a little time. That's pretty tough uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace and we, give us a moment or two. Didn't need it. Meshach doesn't go up to Abednego, what do you say? Shadrach doesn't say, Meshach, what do you say? No, they didn't need to call a meeting together. What are we going to do? Courage like this is planned in advance by prior commitment when it is so strong, that when the testing comes, because you made a commitment, you're not going to back down. You see, the commitment can happen today. You make a commitment. I will serve God even if he doesn't answer my prayer. I will serve God if I don't get that rise in pay. I will serve God if we don't have children. I will serve him if I don't get married. I will serve him if I don't get my dreams fulfilled. That's the question that's being put to you today. And when you resolve, then down the road you're going to be tested. I wonder if you ever noticed that Jesus said to his inner circle, Peter, James, and John in Gethsemane, these words, watch. And pray that you enter not into temptation. He didn't say, pray and watch. He said, watch and pray. What's the difference? Well, when you pray and watch, you assume because you prayed about it, and then temptation comes, well, God allowed it. I prayed, I can't help it that I ran into this person or this happened today. Jesus didn't say, pray and watch. He said, Watch and pray. That means a prior commitment. You resolve in advance. You will not give in. Paul says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Real strength is not by seeing how close you can get to temptation and then not yielding, but avoiding the temptation altogether. You say, I'm going to show how strong I am. I'll go right up to it, and I'm not going to give in. You're a fool. You are a fool. The real test is that you know in advance what is likely to tempt you. You know in advance who is likely to tempt you. You make no provision for the flesh. The way to avoid falling into sin is to avoid the temptation that you know you would be vulnerable to. This is why Jesus said, watch and pray. And so these men had a prior commitment. It was not a spur-of-the-moment decision where they had to interview one another. What do you think we should do, Meshach? And third, they were motivated by a pure conscience. Their reply was to the king, we are not careful to answer you. That's the way the authorized version put it. We're not even careful to answer. We don't even need to think about it. Uh, don't need, even need to pray about it. You know, there are some things you don't even pray about. You already know what to do. I've actually had people over the years in my 50, nearly 60 years of, of preaching talk about praying about things that they don't need to pray about because the Bible's already spoken. I've had people say, I'm praying about whether I should tithe. <laughs> hmm. Are you ready for this? A couple come to me. And they're dating. And they're falling in love. And they're actually praying whether they should sleep together before they get married. <laughs> uh, praying about it. That could go on and on. The things people pray about. When God's already spoken. Don't insult him. What more can he say. Than to you he has said. Well. You might have thought. That the king. Would be so impressed. With Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego. That he would say. I've never seen such courage in all my life. Well done guys. This is amazing. <laughs> no. No. Unimpressed, the king had these three men bound, rope tied around their ankles and around their feet, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And then came the king's command, make the furnace seven times hotter. You know, the devil always overreaches himself. The king went over the top, and he made the furnace seven times hotter, and the result was the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They got too close. The men carrying them were burnt, and the three men now are walking around. The only thing that burned was the rope. And they are walking around, and lo and behold, they're joined by pleasant company. Verses 24, 25. And so the king was astonished. He looked up in haste and declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered, true, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire. They're not hurt. And one of them looks to me like the Son of God. Chuck Colston used to say, God does not promise to take us out of the fire. He promises to get into the fire with us. And so the next thing that's going on, I think one of them said to the other two, maybe it was Shadrach, says, Abednego, Meshach, Look who's here. Pleasant company. That's who will be with you. You ask, was it really Jesus? Yes. Once on a stormy lake, the disciples rowing in their boat, and one said, look, walking on the lake, look who's here. Once they fished all night, they caught nothing. And they saw one standing at the shoreline. Look who's here. He's here today. He's with you. Am I talking to someone right now? You are in the fire. I suspect. I don't know this. This is not word of knowledge. I'm just saying, I dare say, there's someone here. You're in the fire right now. Right in the middle of it. Right in the middle. greatest trial you've ever had now. Good news. Open your eyes. Look who's here. So there were these three courageous men walking around. Nebuchadnezzar, I see four. Do you know this little poem? Twas not the truth you taught. To you, so clear, to me, so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a sense of him. Yes, from your eyes. He beckoned me from your heart. His love was shed, and I lost sight of you and saw the Christ instead. My friend Arthur Blessed was carrying the cross in Amman, Jordan. It was a hot August day. He put the cross down outside a Holiday Inn hotel. He noticed that it was heavily guarded, but he was thirsty Went instairs down to the basement to the bar and ordered a Coke. He says, I always remember the Coke because the bartender put a cherry in the Coke. And I drank the Coke and then reached for my wallet to pay. The bartender said, Your drink is paid for. Oh, really? How come? The man down at the end of the counter, he paid your, for your drink. Well, Arthur walks down to the end, and it's an Arab sheikh. And he says to the Arab, thank you for paying for my coke. And the Arab sheikh just looked at him and said, I want what you've got. Arthur said, what do you mean by that? I want what you've got. I've watched you. Your face is shining. Everybody else, look at him. Nobody's happy, frowning. I want what you've got. Arthur said, well, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I carry a cross around the world. Arthur presented the gospel to him. The Arab Sheikh received the Lord and then took Arthur up to the penthouse where dozens of the top oil men in the Middle East met. That's why the place was heavily guarded. And Arthur got to preach the gospel to the whole lot. All because. The sculptor. Chipping away. At Arthur who will tell you. What it's been like over the years. And he will be doing that with you. That people can see Jesus in you. Well. I see not three. But four, the but if not faith overcomes impossible odds. What are odds? Well, if you're into gambling, you would know. Odds are, therefore, that you will be unfaithful in marriage within the next 12 months. That's those are the odds. Odds are, you will be unscrupulous in business. Odds are, you will not break out of your self-pity. Odds are, you will not overcome that feeling of entitlement. Odds are, you will not get over that grudge. But there is a faith that overcomes impossible odds. But it doesn't mean that you'll have the happy ending of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The happy ending is always this, Jesus is in the fire with you. But some of the great men of history know what it is to be burnt up. In 1555, you can go today to Oxford. And on Broad Street, right next to Balliol College, there is embedded into the pavement a cross that marks the spot where, in the reign of Mary Tudor, known as Bloody Mary, when she was enforcing Roman Catholicism on a Protestant Briton, and there were those who died And two of them were Hugh Latimer, bishop, and Nicholas Ridley, bishop. And they were tied together back to back. They were to be burned at the stake. When they light the fire that would consume their bodies, just as the the fire was going up, Latimer shouted back, Fear not, Master Ridley, play the man. We shall this day light such a candle that I trust will never go out in England. It kept the gospel alive for centuries, but I fear the flame is about to go out. Not many that will take their stand like that. Martin Luther stood before the hierarchy in Worms, Germany, in 1520. And uh, there was a table with all of his pamphlets. And they said, Dr. Luther, are these your pamphlets? He looked it over and said, yep. Dr. Luther, will you recant, will you take back what you've written in these pamphlets well funnily enough luther asked for a, a day to think about it he did and so they take him to his cell luther writes his prayer you would have thought surely that god would visit martin luther with a, a thousand angels with a sense of glory And presence, surely God would do that. But Luther wrote out his prayer and lets us know what he was going through, the agony in that 24-hour period. He says, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Are you dead? No, you cannot die. You only hide your face. The next day, Luther, standing before the council, he's questioned by the cardinal, Dr. Luther, are these your pamphlets? Yes. Dr. Luther, will you deny what you've written in these pamphlets? And Luther said, I do. If you can prove that they are contrary to the word of God, but if not, Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Luther felt nothing. No great sense of anointing. God help me. But it was his finest hour. It would end up turning the world upside down. After that meeting, his friends kidnapped him and took him to Wartburg Castle, and for the next 11 months, he translated the Bible into German language. And the world was never the same again. The proof of vindication is not whether you're delivered, but who people see with you in the fire. And by the way, these three men Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were being trained for passive leadership. They passed. Brief word of prayer Heavenly Father, apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name.